welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Springer. Oh, Missed your face, Jer. We missed your face. Oh, you can uh, you can get help. I know. <laughs> no, it's sad. It's been what Take twenty years now, man. I'm past help. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's right. We yeah we started. I started working with you uh, in 06. 04. No, 04. Yeah, oh, so four. Yes, right. Seventeen years. years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank God we haven't changed. <laughs> and they're making reference to Springer on the radio, which is a radio show, Jerry and Megan and uh, I as well. And uh, yeah. our friend Pat Berry, who sadly died of COVID, uh, very horrible thing that touched a lot of lives, including our guest artist tonight. And uh, let me just do kind of a, a pre-introduction. Megan's going to chat with uh, Corduroy Brown from... Huntington, West Virginia. Was hey. Here's how this works. Often when somebody is like outstanding, we say, hey, come back and join us again the next week. And he has done that. He's agreed to do it. So we're going to talk to Corduroy in a few minutes. Uh, Jerry, we open the show with what is really the reason this show exists is uh, these thoughts that you give, rants, uh, analyses of issues. And and by the way, the one tonight, because you and I chatted before the show, so I know what you're going to talk about. I don't know specifically what you're going to say. I'm real interested yeah. because I am a lifelong Roman Catholic, and I know that there is an organization called the Council of Catholic Bishops, and this is, uh, a bit, well, in, in America, and this is the United States version of this, so they're not from all over the world, but from America. And we have a president, Joe Biden, who is a lifelong Roman Catholic, goes to mass every Sunday, receives Holy Communion. Catholics believe that Holy Communion is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And there has been chatter among a lot of the bishops, particularly on the more conservative side, the more fundamentalist side, that, hey, we shouldn't be giving no bishop, no no pastor, no Catholic priest, no matter where he goes, should be giving Joe Biden Holy Communion because he consistently has allowed for or favored policies that give a woman the right to choose. So we're talking the abortion issue. And this council met this summer and I know, Jerry, you're not going to get this far down in the weeds, and I don't want to either, but there were procedural votes that could lead, let's just say this, and you may address this more specifically, yep. that could vote to deny him communion. What's your take on that gathering and that, that, that pre-vote that they took? They took a vote, wasn't to deny him communion, but it could lead to that. What's your take on all that? Well, <clears throat> Back in September of 1960, uh, John F. Kennedy, in the closing months of his presidential campaign, facing a wave of anti-Catholic bigotry, he would, of course, be the first uh, America's first Catholic president, decided against the advice of many to face the issue head on. 
He went to Houston to address and then take questions from an openly hostile audience of several hundred Protestant ministers led by the very popular Norman Vincent Peale. The event was covered live on national television. A few days earlier, nearly 40 separate Protestant denominations issued a statement that Americans should be worried that a Catholic president would be under pressure to abide by the instructions of the Vatican. In what over the last 70 years must stand out as the clearest defense of the doctrine of separation of church and state, Kennedy said to them, and I'm gonna quote here, I believe in an America that is officially neither Catholic, Protestant, nor Jewish, where no public official either requests or accepts instructions on public policy from the Pope, the National Council of Churches, or any other ecclesiastical source, where no religion or no religious body seeks to impose its will directly or indirectly upon the general populace or the public acts of its officials. Considering how close the election was in his defeating Richard Nixon, it's fair to assume that without that pledge, he never would have been president. Now, some 70 years later, it's hard not to notice the irony in the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops applying their pressure on an American president when they fought so hard to convince Americans back then that they would never do that. Today, they seek to deny President Biden the sacred ritual of communion because on the issue of abortion, he's pro-choice. To this conference of bishops, this is unacceptable, though it should be pointed out that the Pope disagrees with what the U.S. conference seeks to do. Oh, he's opposed to abortion, of course, but he does not believe communion should be denied. In his words, communion is not the rewards of saints, but the bread of sinners. Well, of course, how this is all resolved, whether President Biden, clearly a man of his faith, a regular church-going believer, whether he will be denied the holy ritual of communion is none of my business. I am not a Catholic, though I really do respect the practice, the uh, positive role that religion plays as a guidepost and teacher of values in how life should be lived. But nevertheless, I can make an observation on how this Bishop's Biden drama plays out on the American stage. What is hard not to notice here is the hypocrisy of the Catholic Bishops Conference and the consequences this hypocrisy has on the church. The hypocrisy is their willingness to use the ultimate punishment, denial of communion, on the issue of abortion, and yet offer no discipline for Catholic politicians who ignore or even practice racism, who remain silent in their response to poverty, hunger, health care, housing, the condition of the least among us. In other words, who deny the actual teachings of Jesus. Indeed, from these bishops, there is a disturbing silence. And as I said, this obvious hypocrisy in their claim to moral leadership, which appears not as a religious response, but as a purely political one, results in a growing absence in their pews and on Sunday mornings. 
particularly among the young. And this, by the way, is not just an observation of the Catholic Church. It's of all our organized religions. I find an increasing gap between what we profess in our churches and temples on the Sabbath and what we live up to or even pursue come Monday morning. Don't believe for a moment that our young people aren't noticing this gap. You want them to stay faithful, to return to the pews? Well, eliminate the hypocrisy. Have your politics reflect your moral teachings. Otherwise, the young can see through this charade. They will perceive what may be true. It's not about God or morality. It's about power. Yeah, good, Jerry. And I say that as somebody who, as I mentioned before, I was raised Catholic, went only to Catholic schools all the way through my master's degree. I'll give you one other one. Yep. The and, and it's uh, Governor DeSantis. Uh, you have a home in Florida and Governor yep. DeSantis uh, has and before him, Governor Scott also and Governor DeSantis is a practicing Catholic before him, Governor Scott. Uh, who now is what? Isn't he a U.S. Senator, Scott? Huh. And yeah, from Florida. From yeah. Florida, was is a practicing Catholic. Both of them have presided over state executions of uh, prisoners. Mm -hmm. and now, let me be very specific about this. To add this to your list of hypocrisies, the current Pope uh, wrote an encyclical. And an encyclical in the Catholic faith is what Catholics call ex cathedra. It is the time and the only time when the Pope is speaking the words of God. And that's what Catholics believe, that uh, if an encyclical is presented, it is an ex, it's a uh, Latin term, ex cathedra document. And he now is speaking on the issues of faith and morals. And this Pope, has declared the death penalty a sin. Mm -hmm. And it has been put into the catechism, which is this book. And Megan, you went to Catholic schools as I did. And David Proust, our technical producer, did. And we all studied the catechism. It now says, I have read this as recently as in the last few months, it says that the death penalty is a mortal sin. So similar to the issue of abortion, if Ron DeSantis, and he's already executed one person, and Scott did a whole bunch of people, and there will be more to come, one would assume, if DeSantis repeatedly presides over the death penalty, he is as guilty as they would say Joe Biden is, mm -hmm. I would say more so. There's a very direct that's a very direct action for a governor who always is appealed to by the attorney of the man or woman who's being executed. Right, Jerry, you're an attorney. I mean, yes, it's a, box, exactly. it's a yep. box you check. You always send yep. something off to the governor and the governor denies it. He takes a very specific hand in saying, kill that man. Now, he'll say, defend it by saying, well, kill that man because he killed a bunch of people or he raped a bunch of women or whatever the horrific crimes were. We know, though, from the Innocence Project and other similar projects that there are people who are on death row 
who through DNA, modern technology, oh, gets sprung, right, Megan and Jerry? Yep. They get out. Yep, Mistakes absolutely. are made by yep. human beings. So my logical brain, trained by the Jesuits, the order that from which our current Pope comes, that we have, of course, have executed innocent people over a, a lifetime of a country called the United States of America. It's inevitable. Yeah. Logically, we've executed innocent people. Sure. The Pope would say it doesn't matter whether they're innocent or not. Yeah. It's, it is a sin to yeah. preside we, over the death penalty. And conservative politicians and conservative bishops do not bring that up out of convenience. We had always been taught, and maybe it wasn't part of um, yeah. the catechism, but we were always taught in order to be, if you were pro-life, you were pro-life. It meant that you were pro-life across the board, which included euthanasia, which included death penalty, which included, and and in our teaching, it was quality of life and the, and resources available. So pro-life from my, from what I learned in the Catholic faith, I know that that's not consistent. We were taught that that is, you have to be consistently pro-life. You don't get to cafeteria, pick and choose which part of it you are. You're right. And yet the the U S council of Catholic bishops when I followed this, I thought it catches my interest politically and it catches my interest spiritually. So I followed this and I followed this debate that went on in July. Mm-hmm. This is or late June, July. And they did not get into, Megan, that consistency. Yeah. They focused only on uh, or when they talk about it. Let's yeah. put it this way, because the debate was actually more theoretical than Joe Biden. But when this is discussed, they talk about Joe Biden. Yeah. They talk about Joe Biden. They don't talk about Ron DeSantis. No. And other conservative uh, Republican governors who have presided, and and, and not to get into the the issue on our southern border with immigration. That was the other one, yeah. Same stuff. It's the same stuff. They're so inconsistent. Interesting, Jerry. It's a good, really good analysis. By the way, in Florida where you live, and there's no joke behind this question, Ron DeSantis, uh, what, two, three months ago, four months ago, acted as if he was the hero of COVID management of a state. Yeah. He bragged and bragged and bragged and bragged about no masks, no uh, no, uh, and it, it being an anti-vax guy. Yep. So it, it it's, uh, yeah, it, it, the, the corner has turned on him. And also now, unrelated issue, he's dealing with the red tide. Oh, yeah. And, oh. Uh, yeah, which, which, uh, which is algae. A, a contributing. Yep. Yeah, it's by, uh, caused by algae, but also by what the industries are putting into oh, the water. This is all super okay. fun, light topics, guys. We are having a blast <laughs> yeah, really. here tonight. Oh, yeah, you know what? Really. We ought to have a podcast. <laughs> and talk about algae. Jerry, tell us a joke. Dark stuff. <laughs> well, I went to school with algae. Um, algae Schwartz, he was... Oh, uh, my God. Okay, anyway. He wasn't, he wasn't Catholic. Um, but, yeah. He had this hearing. We just called him Big Al. Big Al. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so your show is about to, uh, th- this is the, th- I just want to touch on Judge Jerry for a minute. And then I'm going to ask Megan to bring in 
Corduroy Brown, because uh, that's that's exciting. We heard him from last week. But Jerry, your show, Judge Jerry, is going into its third season. Am I right yeah, about the that? The third year, and we we're taping the shows now, and they'll start airing. I think September thirteenth. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, se- yeah, September thirteenth. They'll air. Right. And and you are uh, uh, this mm-hmm. year you've gone back to uh, yeah. Live audiences oh, it's, in the it's such a big difference. Sadly, I mean the shows that are on now um, were are on because of technology. In other words, yes. uh, last year the shows we did, uh, as with all the TV shows because of the pandemic, suffered because the plaintiff and the defendant could not be in the courtroom with me. So I was in the in the courtroom in Stamford, Connecticut, but the plaintiffs and defendants, they could be in Phoenix, Arizona. They could be in Atlanta. They were in Des Moines. They were all over the country. And through the magic of television, it looked like they were in the courtroom with me, but they weren't. And there was a delay. So you don't get the spontaneity and also you don't get the audience there. Um, You know, the the, the spectators that sit behind the bench there, or behind that little half wall, uh, it was empty. I was talking in an empty courtroom, which really affects the degree of laughter I get with my wonderful jokes. Yeah, 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 right. So I, process, I, I had a, I'm sure was handled. I had a laugh button. <laughs> so when I told a stupid joke, and of course there was no one there to laugh, I literally picked up the button and went like this, and you hear, "Hey, we need that." Yeah. We need, we one, need of one of those here. Uh, yeah. I can't. <laughs> and by the way, is everybody who is in the room uh, they, they vaccinated? Have to, yes, is that how you're vaccinated? Doing yeah, you can't get in unless you've been vaccinated. That's yeah. good. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Megan. Well, with all of this happy talk, and <laughs> we're going to yes. move right along here to our guest this evening, Mr. Corduroy Brown. Welcome back, sir. Hi. Good to see everyone. That was such a happy show. Isn't it, though? We just yes. <laughs> That's what we do here at Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery. We just keep it light. Uh, but the last time that we had you on, we were talking a little bit about um, COVID and things of that nature. But Listening to your song that you played for us last time, um, it struck me, your sound is very different for our podcast. Um, We generally have very folky, um, acoustic, instrumental stuff, and you're definitely more of a pop vibe and a little bit. So tell me, tell us a little bit about your influences, because oftentimes when we are talking to our guests, we hear a lot of the same names. So I'd be interested to see who your influences are. Yeah, so I grew up with cassette tapes, believe it or not, of Michael Jackson. Um, yeah. So that, man, I could still, to this day, give or take whatever people say, as a performer and a professional, Michael Jackson could grief always. I literally just drool watching him perform because it's mm-hmm. so passionate. Um, but on a twisty note, I actually, when I first got my first guitar in like 2007, um, I started learning like heavy metal music, actually. <laughs> that was like my thing. And then it kind of has chilled out from a little bit of that from then on. But um, I think I just lost the light. That's awesome. Um, no, you're good. But um, they can't see me in podcast land. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like all over the place, I actually find myself listening to a lot of female artists. So like mm-hmm. um, Haley Williams from Paramore and not just like not just like Misery Business Paramore, like every album Paramore and Miranda Lambert and Lights and 
um, gosh, literally so many different female artists. I don't know. I love everything. I really do. I mean, I listen to everything. Yeah, there was a lot of lot of stuff in the last um, in the last song that you played for us. I'm sorry, it was I Know Better. And tonight we have another selection. Um, is this is this song um, on and on similar to that, or is this a different feel? Talk to us a little bit about on and on. Sure. So yeah, on and on is definitely a pop fun thing, but it's featuring another Huntington, West Virginia band called Massing, and they are my boys. Um, yeah. I have to talk about real quick, like the whole album has so many features, like my mom's on the album, my barber's on the album. There are a lot of Huntington bands and a lot of Cincinnati bands. Uh, Arlo McKinley, who's from Cincinnati, is on the album. He's been on our show. So um, that was the whole point of this album. The album's called Let Me Know. And so many people my entire life have always said, Alan, like, let me know if you need anything or like, let me know if like I can do anything for you. So it made sense. So many people's hands were on this album, musical or not. Uh, and this song is featuring Massing from Huntington, West Virginia as well. So it's a fun, I actually wrote a love song for the first time in my entire life. And I like how it turned out. That's awesome. Great. Well, let's hear it. This is On and On, Quarter featuring Massing. Things I've changed without a doubt, yeah. And I would rather stay amongst the loneliness I feel than break the habit. And every motive that I find keeps me stuck on every line just like a magnet. And I try to decide between the jack and the hide. I've gotta have it, but baby, I've got you. Oh. 
All right. And you were just listening to Corduroy Brown featuring Massing. That was on and on. And if you want to check out some more of their music, Corduroy's music, you can check out Corduroy Brown on Apple Music, Prime, Spotify, Shazam, anywhere else you get your music. And while you're checking him out, do us a favor, hop on over to anywhere you're listening to the Jerry Springer podcast, Tales, Tunes, and Tom Foolery, and give us a review, preferably a five-star review. Keep us in on air. Let us know what you think. Gene will pick some of the favorite comments to read on air. Just don't make the words too big. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, and we will be back next week. Take it away, Mr. Springer. I'm going to lay down my soul. My finger.